receiving a signal from another planet. Fanboy planet. Watch animated chicks with inflatable breasts. You might be a Trekkie. Sit back and watch as the Uber geek goes and kicks it up a notch. Turn to the left to F in your dictionary and add this word to your vocabulary. Take a look, cause I'm the real McCoy. After saying, well, I'm not going to Comic Con. I'm just the definition of a fanboy. I won't be there, so have fun. Oh, we're recording now. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, delightful. Uh, the, um, yeah, it's just, I, I, I'm just curious because I, I, when I went to PAX, there were, you know, people basically selling badges on the street. I mean, just outside the door, there were like four or five guys yeah. running up yeah. and down the street and, you know, they were all. They all knew the price they were going for at that point, and because Pax has, they're like packs. You buy. If well, you buy yeah, all, if it, you buy all four days, you get four different badges. So and you can, well, <laughs> you, can, you can sell one of them. You know, if you want to. One thing I overheard, because of course people are trying to figure out, you know, the swapping and the uh, RFID. Yeah, you know, scanning in, but but I really, really want them to have longer lanyards because I had to bend over from where the scanner is, like, you know, I couldn't pull the badge down. Right, I need to have one of those retractable ones. But anyway, I I, I heard somebody complain, but well, I know he wants my badge, but what if I, you know, uh, I've already scanned in and out. They already know who I am. And somebody answers, hey, "You're back." You know, they're not encoded with your DNA. <laughs> <laughs> And so I yet. mean, the, the, yet exactly. There's that thing. Yeah, it's like I, you know, blood sample on the application form. I don't even know. Um, you know, I don't think they ask for ID when you because everybody gets their badge mailed to them. So that's true. They used to they used to ask for ID when you were picking up the actual badge there. But, but you know, I mean, in, in this case, I think the big thing is you know they're trying to bust forgeries. So if if people are swapping badges, as long as to me, as long as the number isn't going up, yeah, as long as they're paid for, and you know yeah. that I, I I don't know that I have a problem with that. I just don't. I, I just want it to be less crowded. Yeah, which it kind of felt like it was just a little bit. Really? So, well, I wasn't there. So. Yeah. Well, that's why. Uh, <laughs> all I needed was just one less. No, it's uh, it no, but it really was like I, I think. Saturday was was fairly crowded, but but Wednesday night, you know, you could pretty much move, move around. I think the big thing was, uh, which I, I have now heard it was a, a downfall, was the the uh, lottery ahead of time for like signing opportunities. So a lot of people never actually showed up, uh-huh. and, and and Warner Brothers apparently like for their things, they didn't let anybody else in. They just you know, so like, oh, only 10, ten people showed up for the Lucifer signing. Then only ten people got the signature. Wow! And you know, and yeah, so that was kind of. I mean, but as as I always say, that's got to be a downer for the Lucifer people, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, and for the fans that were just trying to see them, you know, right, it, right. because I know there were. 
Um, but they, they, you know, they say every year they try something new. There's going to be bugs. This was the bug this year. So apparently, the same thing happened with Lego. That Lego, you know, had a, you had a, with a lot of in order to get one of the minifigs ahead of time. You know, show up for that. Writers, readers, and fans they from around didn't, the globe but, you know, converge. Flipside Hasbro was the same way, and I was still able to walk. You know, the Hasbro would tweet out, okay, anybody can line up now. And, you know, if you were on social media and you were there at the right time. Uh, the highlight of the you know, weekend will be the presentation well, I like that. of the I mean, Hugo Awards on Sunday evening. In line, you know, I for can more walk information, for miles, visit worldcon76.org to join the thousands of attending members me. in San Jose just, yeah. from just, August 16th to the 20th, 2018. Too, you can get the, the latest from WorldCon76 on Twitter at WorldCon2018 and on Facebook at WorldCon76. I'm really appreciative of that, and we'll see how it goes. Like. Yeah, at Worldcon and uh, well, my before I actually said no, I'm absolutely not going. Um, in other words, when I talked to Debbie, um, yes, I leave was, that part in the recording. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It's true. She said she uh, told me all the reasons I, why I shouldn't go, and I went. You know right. what? I, you know what? I you know what I say is is that this is a life lesson for all of our listeners. Uh-huh. When you want to go someplace important, the first person you mention it to is your wife. Yes. Not the last person you mentioned. It to. Well, the scenario was before before that. I was thinking, I'll just go. I'll go down for preview night, and then I'll just do Thursday and Friday, and then I'll come back because Saturday and Sunday are the are the the worst you know, as far mm-hmm. as crowds and stuff. And you know, I kind of wanted to stay around. Uh, usually, I want to stay around till Sunday to see if anybody's selling off anything. But if you think about it, if you do the math. If I'm not paying for two nights of a hotel room, no, um, exactly. I, I am were, not going to make up the difference in a, in a deal on a on a headphone. You know, it's like no. there there were a couple of things that I bought early, and then we saw were you know marked down, and, and but I, I said you know on Sunday, but I said like one we wouldn't have known, we yeah. couldn't have known, and two there'd be no it just happened to be luck. We had an hour free to walk on the floor. Uh, yeah. With all the other stuff I had had scheduled and and yeah. so forth, so did you get you know, to? Was Dark Horse doing their big sale? Uh, I didn't even go back because no, that's that's the one there. I that's probably the one I spent the most money at the last time I went. And I and I have in the in years past, but I I, I did stay away from them this year for no you know particular. I I, I I went to the edges. You know, I had to get uh-huh. uh, I had to get a couple of manga for my son and. And they had exactly the ones I was looking for, and only one copy left of each, so that was good uh, on the Sunday. And then I I went over to, you know, the other dealer's side, basically, uh, you know, for back for trade paperbacks and so. And not yeah. that I ended up yeah. with anything, but but I wanted to see. And and then I had to go to the pro fan trivia, you know. And so it was. Uh, I, I think the last fifteen minutes of the com was running up to. DC's booth and saying, "Please, did you open the box of Border Town?" Why, yes, we did an hour ago. <laughs> and we put them all out. No, you know, <laughs> I thought you said you'd save one for me. I don't blame DC. I, I, I blame society. So, hey, this is Derek McCaw, editor in chief of FanboyPlanet.com, and blaming are, society. <laughs> uh, blaming society? No, not at all. Uh, and this is welcome to the second of our. Uh, I would say. Comic-Con follow-up spotlight, spotlight, post-con spotlight spotlight episodes, and then pre-Worldcon 
talk, I guess, maybe, who knows. Anyway, and of course, uh, making this all work because he's there at the undisclosed location we call the Brett Cave. Rick Sitting Brett at Snyder. the board. Oh, Rick, I talked over you. Rick Brett Snyder. <laughs> Sitting at the board. <laughs> and getting bored. All right. So, of course, uh, you know, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast, we're available on Apple Podcasts. I believe we're on Google Play. We are on Stitcher. And if we're not on your favorite podcatcher, please let them know that you would like Fanboy Planet available there as well. It's easy to do. And tell your friends that you're enjoying the podcast, assuming you're enjoying the podcast. And if we talk about something on this podcast that you would like to purchase for your very own and you cannot find it at your local brick-and-mortar store, it happens. Or maybe you don't have a local brick-and-mortar store that sells comics uh, or or any toys perhaps that we talk about. I don't think we're talking about toys today, but who knows? And uh, then you, of course, can help us help us help, uh, by uh, ordering through the Amazon link, which is on each and every page at fanboyplanet.com. And if you're listening to us through the website, then you probably see it right now as you're looking at that page. Uh, we do get a small kickback when you order through the site. Uh, things like including, shall I say, uh, I Was Flesh Gordon, which is the book by Jason Williams with Derek McCaw. Yes, a book by or editor-in-chief, and uh, also support Think Geek. A lot of cool stuff from Think Geek. I, in fact, I am still using my con uh, bag of holding, a little smaller but uh, than the former bag of holding, which I still have and use for bigger things, but uh, it's really been convenient to carry around. I absolutely love, love, love that product. And I'm not actually being paid to say that. I just am enjoying having that. And, uh, of course, if you'd like to help just defray the cost of hosting uh, the website and or the, what are we doing, a podcast, you can, of course, go to <laughs> <laughs> PayPal and donate through editor at fanboyplanet.com. As well, if you just want to communicate with us, write into editor at fanboyplanet.com. That's for questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, what have you. If you'd like to join in on a conversation on Fanboy Planet at Facebook, uh, that is Fanboy Planet, on Twitter at Fanboy Planet, tweet at us, uh, and there's also an Instagram account at Fanboy Planet. So I think I've covered everything that I want to cover uh, as far as advertisements go. Do we have anybody else lined up? No, except other to say that we will be... Uh, Worldcon 76 is coming up in San Jose, and we will be there walking around uh, and a few panels. But I don't know if the full schedule has been made public yet. So it has no yet. It's almost there. Probably by it's the time people there. are re- listening to this, it's available. Yeah. So just know that both Rick and I are on a variety of different panels, and we're going to be walking around, and we'll probably be catching pieces of the podcast on the fly so let's get to it we got some comics news some movie news some tv news uh, and as we mentioned post comic con spotlight so we've got a couple of of interviews to play out here uh one is from oni press i don't know that we've really gotten gotten much with oni before directly and so i was really excited to get this because there's this graphic uh, this trade paperback i think it was five issues and there's another series coming from oni and it was a really interesting Here's the log line. Uh, it's it's Frankenstein meets the Untouchables. Okay. And it's called Made Men. Oh, and, okay. Okay. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, yes. It's uh, it's about a, a a police squad that is killed by the mob. Only uh, the leader of the squad happens to be a descendant of the Frankenstein's, and she had been experimenting on herself, so she's able to survive 
getting shot to pieces. And so she, using her grandmother's, it's a very big twist on the mythos, her grandmother's notes and vaults uh, that she has inherited, she is able to rebuild her squad. And <laughs> so uh, it's a really cool... He, Paul Tobin is the writer, uh, and with his partner Colleen Coover, they also collaborate on a lot of uh, on a web comic and uh, some and many other things they've got coming, and they'll talk about in this. But it's a really interesting idea. It's a really interesting twist on it. Making you know, every now and then you see the Frankenstein monster being used as superheroes. I mean, both Marvel and DC have a version. I've just never seen a crime fighting version of, and they're also like the A Team. So uh, a crime-fighting version of the Frankenstein mythos. Oh yes, sir. I'm quite like this. Oh, so, okay. You know, the, this is uh, and the, and Paul Tobin really digs deep into the kind of the personalities that would happen as a result of these experiments. So, got to I, I, I apologize in advance. There's a little bit of crowd noise in the background because we were conducting the interview at the exact same moment that Jason Momoa showed up at the DC booth. Nice. So. The screaming you hear might have been mine. I'm not sure. I, I just uh, I didn't I didn't actually look over and see him, but that's what I was told. I walked up. There was this big hullabaloo, and they said, "Yeah, Jason Momoa just walked by with security guards." So uh, my interview at the Oni Press booth at Comic Con with Paul Tobin and Colleen Coover. I'm at the Oni Press booth with uh, Paul Tobin and Colleen Coover, and they are collaborators and creators and. I like the way you think. That's all I can say right now after, <laughs> after finishing up Made Men, which the graphic novel comes out. Is it out? Available yes, here? it's out. It's out. Um, which is sort of this very new twist on uh, the Frankenstein mythos in a way that I haven't seen before. So I'll say, you know, new twist. And uh, so I'm going to focus here first, and then I'm going to get to Colleen, collaborate. Uh, so what... First of all, do you think it is about the Frankenstein myth that is so enduring, why it's so enduring in our popular culture? Um, I don't know. I, it's like monster and life together, which I really like, and it's like coming back from the dead. I mean, I think that, um, I don't know, for me, the endearing part was all those like great monster movies from like the 30s and 40s, the visuals of it, and the, the slow, methodical life of Frankenstein and the menace. But I, I, from the books, though, like like when I was reading or watching the movies, Frankenstein was this almost brainless, you know. Mm-hmm. But in the books, he's much more intelligent, and I like that aspect too because it, because in in the movies, it's like he's brought back in this semblance of life, but he's little more than a tough zombie, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the books and things like that, there's this. There's this education that gets brought in, and I like that. And, and Victor himself is a much more educated person overall, and I like that aspect of it. So that's what, at least to me, it's hard for me to say societally, you know, blah blah blah, because no, 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 I'm always wrong on that. Um, but um, but like that, those are the aspects for me. And you've done something interesting there. You know, I definitely feel the 30s and 40s, a little bit of a Warner Brothers gangster movie influence as well and so basically it's crime fight cop drama mm-hmm. with this you also took an interesting switch and we talk about this is that you just mentioned Victor von Frankenstein and said that he just took credit for his sister mm-hmm. the whole time mm-hmm. well that's one thing that's always fascinated me um, is that 
is there's this Frankenstein family, and everybody talks about the Frankenstein family, and it's like, oh, who is the Frankenstein family? Well, there's Victor. Yeah, who else? And it's like you want... So I wanted to expand on the family and see more because, I mean, Victor, when you watch him, he's, at least movie-wise, which is what's partially ingrained in my head, is really kind of a screw-up. He's really kind of the black sheet of the family. He's like, he's given this guy and he's like, I don't know, go get me a brain. What do I care? You know, toss it in there. And he has to do all this hulking, digging up graves and things like that. So to me, he, he felt like the black sheep of the family in a way. It's like like the kid who just wants to emulate his parents. It's like, look what I did, Dad, and, you know, things like that. So to me, I've never really seen him that competent. He's like... But he's good at taking credit? Yeah, he's good at taking credit. <laughs> yeah, like guys are sometimes. <laughs> uh, we're just going to comment. Rosalind Franklin. But... And when you, uh, when you actually came to create the Mate Met, each one is kind of a different variation on the Met. My, my favorite right now is, am I doing the name right, Kate Hadry? Hadry. Hadry. Yeah. Being... She's my favorite, too. <laughs> who is just... I mean, you're making a lot of interesting social commentary. Uh, mm-hmm. A suffragist, so they're the constant... Now, granted, I'm binging over five inches. Her constant surprise... That she can vote. Mm-hmm. Um, these simple things that we are take well, I guess we're not taking so much for granted now. Yeah. But <laughs> but you know, for a long time, kind of just really did take for granted. So mm-hmm. you know, how much I, I don't know how much were you thinking about that, or is it just like, oh, this is a funny joke? Or? Um, I, it's more than a funny joke to me because like the time of like the original Frankenstein, like things have changed so much from a societal standpoint. So if you do like bring a brain back from there. I mean, a, a guy's brain might just go, oh man, there's some tall buildings now, and you can, there's cars and things like that, but a woman's brain is going to see literally a different world and how they, they can interact and things like that. So I wanted that aspect of it, and then I had her be like an actual Italian suffragette from the time, who actually was sort of killed for her views at the time. Not sort of killed, she was killed. Um, so, I, I think that's fascinating to look at the time, because it's like you have the you sort of have the rebirth of society at the same time that you have the rebirth of the person, and I think those are good themes to work with. I mean, some of the characters that I don't think you've had a chance yet to explore as much. You've got the Gemini, mm-hmm. and I really haven't seen that much push and pull yet. They're so you, complex that it's you, hard to... Yeah. No, I, I, I understand. So it kind of the trade ends on a cliffhanger, a cliffhanger. enough. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's like, okay, there's more, so you'll be... We, yeah, it's going to deal on schedules um, when we can bring out more, but I want to deal with a lot more. And um, like one of the things that fascinates me is that um, the books, like the, the book and the movies, tend to look at like Victor making the monster as I've created life. This is my end goal. But I'm more fascinated about what if that wasn't the Frankenstein's family's end goal? What if creating that life was, okay, step one, now let's move on to step two, step three, step four, and what those steps might be. If, if, if creating life, if recreating life was step one, where are they going to go and how are they going to expand on this? Yeah, you're almost mentally like Bride of Frankenstein, and now I'm blanking on that scientist <laughs> off to the left. Uh, you know, uh, Quentin Chris played him in The Bride, and that's all he had. Uh, mm-hmm. Pretorius, Dr. Pretorius. Yes. You know, had the little homunculi was t- and was really taking Victor's mm-hmm. work and other steps. So right. right there. Yeah. I w- so, 
Made Man is awesome. Let's talk about your collaborations with with Cullen. You're working very much alongside. So, how does that change your approach? Who trades off? What what happens? Um, well, we have like a lot of projects. Our main project together is Bandad, um, which we've won what three Eisners? Three Eisners for um, at this point. Um, but but I do all the art on that. He does all the writing, and we very much collaborate as as though we were any other professional collaborators, like writer artist team. Um, he writes. He writes a script, and then he gives it to me, and then I draw it. Um, Is it that simple, or do you say, really? I take more license with one of his scripts as far as to say, I know what he wrote here, but I actually know what he really wants to see here mm-hmm. in, in my head, you know? Uh, than I would with another writer. So, I mean, there, there's an advantage to that, then. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, if I was working with, like, say, Fred Van Lente or somebody that like that that I've worked with before, I'll, I'll work with Fred, and I'll, I'll stick to his script pretty much absolutely. Pretty much. Um, <laughs> but with Paul, if he writes something, he's like, he's like, you know, that one thing. And I'll be like, yeah, I do know that one thing. Um... <laughs> <laughs> and that's nice. Yeah. But um, we're also, um, we can't talk about the projects in specific, but we are um, co-writing on two different projects upcoming. She won't be doing the art on them, but we're actually co-writing, and this will be the first time that, on a large scale, we're actually working on what I would call a more collaborative method of, of I think this, I, you think this, and then we go back and forth. And, yeah, yeah, this will be the first time that we ever really craft a story together so that's really exciting yeah. it's, it's a little frightening too but mostly exciting um, and and then we'll have a different artist for that so that's that's a, that's a, a role to be determined later but uh, mm-hmm. but we're we're gonna have a really good time on this story yeah. I'm really excited about it I wish we could talk about it because it's kind of awesome <laughs> um, <laughs> I just have to come back and talk to you yeah, again about it yeah time. come back next year we'll talk all about it okay well, thank you so much for taking thank this you. time. Thank great. you. Okay, and the second interview up in this episode, this is one that's been coming a long time because, I don't know, how many years has it been since you've been to Comic-Con, Rick, since you've gone? Three. Three. So at least three years ago, we met uh, George Mann at the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund party, and he said, Let, yeah, let's do an interview. So yeah. and now three years later, maybe it was four years ago that we met him, uh, because I, I think there was one more uh, one more year you came and we did not run into you didn't come back that year. Um, he was at uh, Gallifrey One this last year and we just never could make our schedules sync up. And so here it is, courtesy of Titan Books, uh, George, who has been writing several of the Doctor Who, uh, he wrote gear, uh, Machines of Engines of War, which was the one and only War Doctor novel with john hurt uh so sorry over there on my shelf yeah <laughs> and you and there are several issues uh, of the titan books doctor who comics that george has worked on including uh, i just picked up the second cole- collection of the the lost dimension george contributed to that as well and he's got a long stand a long-running novel series i think there are five books so far but he's run, been writing them for over 10 years called newbury and hobbs which is sort of a steampunk I'm going to say a lot like in the vein of, of Kim Kim Newman, is that I know you and I really love his work. Oh yeah, and uh, so George has been doing this and uh, these novels, and he's actually getting to write a new 
comic book series of Newberry and Hobbs published by Titan that is within his continuity. He's got a, he'll explain, he's got a long shared universe of decades long worth of timeline and what happens to people. So we finally, thanks to Titan, uh, got to be able to sit down together at, at Comic-Con in one of those uh, hoity-toity Hilton lounges for the press and had a really nice, quiet, and uh, pretty pretty cool conversation about what George Mann is up to. So, George Mann. We're here at Comic-Con with George Mann, who uh, is an author of many, many things, but specifically we're sitting down for the first comic book miniseries Adaptation or new adventure? New adventure of your long-running novel series, uh, Newbury and Hobbs. Absolutely, yeah. Yes. So, uh, but also, as we were just talking, we have met uh, over the years because you are involved in Doctor Who quite yep. a bit. So that this is nice dovetailing everything going here, <laughs> courtesy of Titan Publishing. But let's talk about Newbury and Hobbs first. What what started you writing the novels? Wow. Okay. So it's it's ten years this year since I since the first novel was published. Um, and it was it was kind of my first professional full length novel, um, the first book, The Affinity Bridge. And for years, I'd been trying to write the big science fiction space opera. That was kind of I thought that's going to be the commercial thing to do. And I, I love reading things like Alistair Reynolds and Peter F. Hamilton. And I kind of thought that's what I you know what I need to be writing. And um, it just kept collapsing. I'd get six or seven chapters in, and it was just I didn't know where I was going with the book, and I could I just couldn't pull it off. Um, and it was actually a friend of mine, um, a guy called Michael Rowley, um, who said, "Just write something for yourself to remind yourself." Because I was, I was ready to jack it in. I was thinking, "This isn't, this isn't working." I'd had, I'd had a few short stories published in the small presses, and, and that was about it. And I said, and I was ready to jack it in. And he said, um, "Just write something for yourself. Remind yourself why you love writing." And I thought, well, "Okay, I'll, if I'm going to do that, I'm going to throw in all the things I love." So I kind of. Sherlock Holmes, Doctor Who, Stephen Peel from the Avengers, Hammer Horror. And I just kind of threw all that stuff in. I thought, I'm going to tell a story that pulls in all those, all those influences. Um, and I started writing The Affinity Bridge. Um, and I got about halfway through the book. And I passed the kind of the curse of the seventh chapter. Um, and I sent it to Michael. I said, look at this, it's working. Now, Michael worked at Waterstones at the time um, in the UK. Book oh, chain that was UK. Good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And li- little did I know, he sent it on to a publisher that he knew. And then, the, so the next thing I heard was, "Hi, I'm, I'm contacting you from this publisher, and um, I've read the first half of your book. And if you finish it, I'd like to buy it um, and a sequel." So I nearly, obviously, nearly fell off my, my chair. But I, so I was very lucky. So I sold the, the first two books, um, which then I completed the first book, and it went into a bidding war in America, and, and Tor ended up buying it for for US. Um, and the series has been going ever since, really. Um, I, ha- I, did, I have had a brief hiatus um, for, for just a couple of years where I, um, I took a breather and did some other things. Um, and now we're bringing it back for the 10th anniversary. So there's a new novel coming in February. Um, there's the, the comic book series launching in September and running through. So so why go to comics? I mean, you're very successful as a, as a novelist with it. Um, yeah. Why bring... I mean, and you've written for Titan. You've been doing sure. many... Uh, many Doctor Who stories as well, uh, but you know, what is it about translating your long-running protagonists that are yours to comics? Um, well, first of all, I love comics. I, I always have loved comics. I've been a comic reader for for, for years. Um, so, a passion for the the, the format is, is was the first thing, um, and then trying to thinking about 
visualizing these characters that have lived in my head for so long you know there's a there's a few pieces of art that exist out there book covers and and, and bits, a few bits of fan art and things but i want to get, bring them to life in a different way um and a comic gives us that opportunity uh, and an opportunity to tell a different type of story as well you know that to write something that could could only work as a comic book and not necessarily as a novel um so yeah that was i think that was the main attraction i i love comics as, as a medium and I wanted to, to bring Newbury and Hobbs into that medium, um, which is where the, the, the four-issue miniseries has come from. And yeah, so as I say, the, the, you say this is a mashup of everything you love. This is uh, here described as sort of a steampunk detective story. But I, I think of it, and I think this is a thing that Titan's carving out a nice little corner of, is almost this, uh, like Kim Newman's Anna, Anna Dracula. Yeah. That, oh, Thank you. Uh, <laughs> that uh, it's water has been brought to us, and it is hot. Uh, that it is almost, these al- almost like an alternate history that's exactly so much that. cooler than our actual history was. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, actually, it's one of the things I've, I've, I've really tried to do with the Newbury and Hobbs books is to build this kind of alternate history, this mythology. Um, and actually, it goes beyond just the core Newbury and Hobbs books. I've got another series called The Tales of the Ghost, which is set in the 1920s um, in New York. But they're actually set in the same timeline as the Newbury and Hobbs books just 25 years later and in, in the States. And as you get further into the series, you start to see more and more connections. And in the most recent book, the characters journey from New York to London and they meet with an, an older Newbury just a, just a, f- a mm-hmm. few scenes, but it starts to bring everything in that universe together. So, so actually, I, I was thinking, looking at it the other day, there's 12 books in that in that overall alternate history already, um, and I'm planning to continue with that. And and obviously, the Undying is another instalment. That's the that's the co- title of the miniseries, the comic miniseries, is another instalment in that alternate universe as well. All right. Now, I, I want to talk because actually, my son <laughs> did a book report on. Uh, Engines of War. Oh wow! Okay. So because he had to write a science, yeah, he had yeah. to write about a science fiction novel. <laughs> so you uh, always hold a soft spot for him because it's like, oh, that was the coolest because he loves the War Doctor. And I think you were the first to con- get to continue the War Doctor's adventures with that novel. Yeah, I was I was really lucky with that. I, I think, um, yeah, I mean, it's still still the only novel they've done, but obviously there's yes. been audios and, and and some comic appearances we have since them all. as well. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but so. yeah, I, I I was the first to to do it and um, I'm very honoured I was to, to be able to um, and it was one of those things that um, it came out of the blue I, the, the editor uh, Justin Richards dropped me a line and said um, are, you f- are you free um, at the moment I said well it depends what it's about you know <laughs> I'm relatively free and he said um, well we've, we want to do a book it's, a, it's one of our prestige novels um, but we need it in six weeks um, and I kind of went, well, what is it? And he said, well, I'm not going to tell you unless you can do it. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. So I said, I'll call you back. So I went and talked to my wife and said, well, six weeks, you know, I can, I can clear the schedule. I can, you know, I can do, I, I can do it. And she said, you've got to. You, and she's very supportive of my wife. And she said, you've got to do this because if you, if you turn it down, someone else gets to write this book and then you find out what it is and you, you'll always regret it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, actually, that's that's sage advice. So I went back to, to Justin and said, OK, I'm up for it. And he said, right, it's the war doctor in the time war with the Daleks. And I nearly fell off my chair, you know. Um, and from that point, you know, we just we just knuckled down, 
and, and I thought I, I, the way I, I approached that novel was to say if it's the the only Doctor Who I ever get to write again this is this you know I, want, I wanted it to feel epic I wanted it to feel like a movie that had been made in between the classic series and the, and the modern series so I had a one foot in each because that's kind of what mm-hmm. I felt the War Doctor was which is why you've got things like the Death Zone in there as well but then you've obviously got the, the kind of the new series speed to the story I suppose um so, um, so yeah, I really kind of set out to write it like that. And I, I, I wrote a draft of... I put, put in everything that I want. Again, a bit like Newbie and Hobbs. And I, I, think, I guess there's a lesson here for me. I put, in, <laughs> I put in everything that I wanted to write. Uh, you know, for me, I thought, I, if, I, if this is my chance to do with the big Doctor Who book, it's got to have all these things in it. And I put them in, and I sent it off, and I kind of winced, and I thought, is, uh, what the BBC going to say? And they didn't say, and it came back, and they said, get on with it, write it. And didn't have any changes whatsoever, which was amazing. Um, and, and another Titan connection, uh, because Titan is reproducing the comics adaptations of the Eternal Champion series. You've had a relationship with Michael Moorcock as well, right? Yes, yeah, um, yeah, on, on and off over the years. Um, I mean, first and foremost as a reader and an admirer. Um, but um, I got to know um, Mike partly through Solaris, which was the fiction imprint that um, I helped set up and, and run for a while um, in the UK and was able to hire Mike to, to write a, a Jerry Cornelius novella um, but then through Sexton Blake, a shared love of Sexton Blake which is a kind of pulp hero from, from Britain um, from the turn of the century mm-hmm. um, and um, they, you know, they, they used to publish some of the story papers like, like newspaper prints and um, Mike and I both collect them so we got to a point where um, we were, we've been trading copies. Um, so I, every now and then, you know, he sent me this little parcel that comes from, from his home in Texas with copies and photocopies of, thi- of things he's picked up, and I do the same for him. So, it's, um, yeah, he's, he's, he's a great guy. Oh, excellent. And, uh, again, the title of the miniseries is... It's Newbury and Hobbs, The Undying. The Undying, which will be available in the fall. So September, September for the first issue, yeah. That's and then right. your next novel is February, and then... What what's left for you to put in that, that you want to put into something? Because I, I clearly <laughs> you've <laughs> you've put it all in there. Well, in terms of Newbury Hobbs, you mean, or anything? Would, you know, I, well, I mean, there's there's, there's there's still bucket list things to write. I mean, I, I, obviously, I want I want to write more Newbury Hobbs. Um, there's a, there's another novel beyond the one that's coming in February. Hopefully, if the, if if people enjoy the comic, we can do more comics. Um, and you know, beyond that. I've got to write Spider-Man before I die. I've got to write Batman before I die, and I've got to write Star Wars before I die. So they're all—that's three things on my bucket list. Okay. Um, well, there were, you, you've heard it here. You know, let's put it out <laughs> into the universe. Excellent. Spider-Man, Batman, and Star Wars. I think that's everybody's bucket list. I think that's it pretty it. much is. Isn't it? <laughs> it should be. It should be. All right. Thank you, George. Thank you. Okay. Let's get to some comics news, shall we? Uh, there's been a couple of DC cancellations, and I, I, I need to call them out because we talked about when they were announced. And uh, this week, Shazam versus the Monster Society of Evil, which was going to get a deluxe edition, reprinting for the first time officially this entire long, long epic that had run in, I guess it was Captain Marvel comics back in the 40s. I don't think it was Wiz. I think it was in Captain Marvel. And it was a big serial. It's, the, it, it's basically the cro- crossover of all of Captain Marvel, the original Captain Marvel's villains, and put together in, in the Monster Society of Evil, redone, retold, sort of by Jeff Smith, 
uh, back in, uh, you know, what, 10, 15 years ago? Yeah. And that one's still available. It's a great graphic novel. It shortens it down, but it mod- it modernizes uh, Captain Marvel, and it is still under the title of Shazam. Well, that's going to be the only version you can read because it just occurred to people at DC, oh, we've got uh, concerns of there's racist content. And if you had that hardcover book, at least one chapter was reprinted in that Shazam from the 40s to the 70s book. Did you have that book? No, I did not. I I can't remember who the publisher was. In the 70s, there was a Batman one, there was a Superman one, and there was a Shazam. Because when DC brought uh, Captain Marvel from Fawcett and started publishing under the title Shazam... big, Big deal, yeah. It was a big deal. They had, of course, the Saturday morning TV show. So the Marvel family was big enough that it warranted one of these hardcover collections. So there is one chapter, and there are characters in there... There are villains that are not represented anywhere else in that book uh, because it's World War II. It's pretty racist content, and uh, there are there's at least one villain who is uh, Japanese who has a, a, basically a racist slur as a name. And uh, I don't know why it took DC this long to realize. Right. Although the thing is, you know, when you're talking about a deluxe edition and you're talking a book that would have cost fifty, sixty dollars minimum, right? It could be reprinted and placed in editorial con. You know, yeah, with- you have to you have to pose it as this is a this is more than just a story. It's a historic document. You know, yeah, and, and this is this is actually. I mean, it ran for you know. From I think it's two to, years. 1943 to 1945, so yeah. sometime in there, but it, it ran for 24 issues. Right, that's two years, yeah, Jeez. 24 issues. Yeah. But I, I don't know how many pages each story chapter was. I mean, it might have been eight pages, you know, because it was like in the back. they broke them up. Yeah. The Fawcett books, yeah. Remember those days you would, well, all of them, Superman, you know, the, yeah. the, the, those stories were shorter, Batman, the, you know, you'd get these short stories, but you'd get like, Eight or nine stories in a for for a dime. Uh, and some of those stories were like four pages long too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So anyway, uh, so they just noticed that they're not going to reprint it, and I understand one it's the climate, but I still wish that it would be you know go ahead charge a higher price, put it in in context. It's just like you know how Warner Brothers had released. There are some pretty uh, oh all the lost all, cartoons. The, uh, uh, Bugs but I think Bunny Whoopi, and Daffy yeah, Duck. And, and that's yeah. what I'm talking about. And Whoopi Goldberg, I think, did the introduction uh, for that and said, like, you place it in the time of when it was made. Right. This is not something that the casual person who doesn't really know that much about the characters or, or the content is going to pick up. Now, granted, I'm making an assumption, too, that everybody who would buy this book is not a racist. But I'm, there, there maybe are... it's a fair assumption. I there know. are people out there who are looking for things to get injured by so they can make a stink. And but I don't know that that's the case here. I think I, that's no, just, I, I, I'm not just saying, the concern. Not, and this, this, is, this is a concern, but I think they are hedging their bet against not having to deal with that type of uh, situation. Well, no, and especially with by the time that would come out, within two or three months, then there is a movie coming out that's supposed to be family-friendly and fun, and then, right. you know, they have that concern, and it's, and, and it's not an unreasonable concern right. that you'd walk into a shop and, you know, somebody would go, oh, I just saw Zachary Levi, that was fun, and then look at this and go, what? Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. So, you know, that book was canceled over concerns of racist content. The first 
of the New Age of Heroes books has been canceled over concerns of uninteresting content. <laughs> and I think you called this yeah. Immortal Men is canceled with issue number six. Now, I, I don't mean to be too glib because I like James Tyne in the fourth, who it was the writer on this book, but I'm really getting the sense that it was kind of Jim Lee driving it. I don't think this was uh, that this was anybody was really watching it and intending to it much because Jim Lee created it. Allegedly, this is one of those books where the artists were listed first, but Jim Lee managed to only pencil, I think, draw half an issue and a cover. And so you had this big out of the gate thing. And then they were scrambling to figure out who's the creator. And James Tynan said that, you know, that it was possible that he was going to have to bring in another writer to do fill-ins. In which case, then it's already way off the rails before. The plan, allegedly, was that all these new Age of Heroes books were going to run 12 issues and then have a crossover because everything, everything must have a crossover. Since this was all, these were all books allegedly inspired by, you know, caused by the Forge uh, from Dark Knight's Metal. Yeah, maybe. But, <laughs> well, I mean, that's the one, right? The, man, the, the Batman Who Laughs was in Immortal Men. Right. Right, you know, so uh, I, I saw that one at least had the strong connection. Uh, you know, a couple of the other ones do too, and they sort of in that Curse of Brimstone, they they made a stronger case why. But but you, but what I what I've appreciated about it, people are reading the Curse of Brimstone, is that you didn't have to read Dark Knight Metal, Dark Knight's Metal at all, to enjoy the Curse of Brimstone. Which, if you're going to spin books out of this sort of stuff. I'm I'm really okay with that. The exception being the terrifics kind of had to be for the excuse of why those four characters were hanging together, but it's barely called attention. I yeah, I don't even I didn't Knight's know metal. I didn't even know that you necessarily needed to do it. I think they did it so that it would have a stronger case for it being a book. Well, but, yeah, both both the solo Plastic Man book and the terrifics uh, yeah. have made reference to how much time he spent as an egg. Yeah, uh, but uh, the, actually, no. I take that back. I don't think Plastic Man has because I, I think the solo Plastic Man book is ha- is happening early in his career. Yeah, or if not, in an entirely different dimension. Which I'm okay with that. too. <laughs> I'm fine with that too. I mean, you it's, know, we need more books like that that people yeah. can just pick up and enjoy. And it's hyper time, baby. Yeah. It's hyper time. So uh, speaking of that, since they can't do uh, amalgam books anymore, uh, Marvel thanks to the Infinity War coming, uh, that they are creating the Infinity Warps. Have you seen any of these characters? No, I've not. So they're combinations. Something about they're using the Infinity Stones for bad, and they're combining like Rocket Raccoon with Wolverine. And so they're warping characters together for a fun month-long crossover. I don't know if it's going to be fun. Oh, I have seen some of this. It's Captain America and Doctor Strange, yeah. Yeah, I mean, okay, look, as toys, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, well, what was that line? There was. Hasbro had those where you could take the characters apart and put them back together in odd ways. Uh, uh, like you could put Hawkeye arms on Spider-Man and so <laughs> forth. I was going to say can't... Micronauts. <laughs> well, yeah, but these were bigger. I know. <laughs> uh, and oh, we do not speak of those Micronauts because they will never exist again. Shh. Yeah. No, you know, we've had that conversation. We had that conversation. We interviewed them uh couple years ago it's that literally almost all the molds were destroyed and i know that uh they were cagey about that at migo on our interview with that with marty abrams a couple weeks ago um you know there's 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 technologies advanced far enough that i think we could probably recreate them without the molds 
Probably we could do three D printing. <laughs> probably we probably could do them in our backyard. Yeah, so, yeah. Printo nuts. Yeah. Anyway, uh, and this I did. I, I apologize. I'm going to talk about something that I have that I did not have a chance to actually explore. But I got an, an email from Archie Comics that uh, I'm just going to say my son is taking advantage of of my inability to to divert from the podcast to tell him to put down those chips. You can leave that in. Uh, <laughs> you may have just named the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be so honored. Anyway, uh, Archie sent out thing that they're doing the first six issues of the Mark Wade reboot are have been turned into motion comics on Spotify. Okay. So I I guess I realize that when you listen to something on Spotify they'll run the album cover or the single cover, you know, that there is a visual associated. So I don't know how well this works. I'm just saying this is interesting to me because I don't know, has any other company attempted that? I mean, I know that like Marvel just did a podcast or as we would like to call it a radio drama featuring, right. uh, <laughs> featuring Wolverine, but to actually make the motion comic and put it on a site like Spotify, that's kind of interesting to me. And so I, I got to yeah. check it out, you know, yeah. but the, I don't know that any other company has tried that. They will after, you know, if this works, but, uh, I only got so far as to actually going on the website and then I got distracted. And so I did, it was late and I, I didn't really get a chance to go back and like are listen people, to the voice acting. I, are, you know, I, are people still intrigued by motion comics when we have, when we now have a lot of really fine animation with tons of material no, being put on? That's a really good question. I don't know. Yeah. I honestly don't know. I mean, you know, when, when was that? Again, five, six years ago we sat down with Dave Gibbons and he talked about that and how, you know, when they did the Watchmen motion yeah. comics. And of course I still obviously absolutely love the guys that made Fire, but I think Made Fire is almost more becoming just a digital distribution. They're still doing some motion comics. Yeah, made but, fire. Made fire is more like a three D image kind of thing, and being yeah, able to look around yeah. at it, you're yeah. you're you're partially in control of how it looks at any given time. And I'm remembering well, back back to like the Watchmen was probably one of the first really aggressive ones. Well, and, I'm gonna, I was going to say that you know when DC Universe comes live, I thought I saw that Watchmen the motion comic would be part of it. Yeah. So there's a, in which case actually I do see. There is that advantage if, you know, you just want it on in the background. And, and it was well done, but the, the problem with Watchmen, the motion comic, was it was just one there. It was a reader who was doing all the voices. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I played one chapter and went, eh, okay, it's not for me. But, that you know, that's okay. Maybe for a generation that wants the, wants the motion, you know. But I also saw the flaw in that is that Dave Gibbons did not draw that to be in high def. On you know, <laughs> on you know what I, I'd want to do this for. I would want to do this for something like uh, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, because I think the audience for this might be young kids watching something on their mom's iPhone. You know, right? But I think Disney already has that in place. I think Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur is getting an animated series. But but I'm what I'm talking about is no, I, the, I, I the, do understand what the you're saying. the need not necessarily needing, needing a high bandwidth connection. And that's the benefit of, of the motion yeah. comics versus and, animation. And, and, and my understanding is that Neil Adams Studio is still doing those Marvel ones every now and then. I will get uh -huh. one in the mail 
from Shout Factory, and they did that Red Sonia one last year with with Gail Simone. That was with Dynamite. Uh, I've watched a couple of those when because I missed the the comics when they first came out, uh-huh. um, you know. And so I, I watched one of the Thor Loki Blood Brothers, I think was the name of it. That was a beautiful one, and I kind of it was nice to be able to actually just kind of pop it into the Blu-ray player and watch the story unfold but even that that doesn't have the diet you know that doesn't have word balloons or anything they you know it really is just limited animation i would also agree with you probably when i think about this i grew up watching those marvel superheroes cartoons from the 60s exactly and they're just a more advanced version of that i'm grateful because i'm seeing much better art uh or i you know much more thought going into it i should say better because we're talking uh ditko and kirby back on those original ones right uh, but but they were messed with a lot you know those those well, drawings were messed around, you know they definitely simplified those they they, they they cut cut them out and then move the pieces of paper around you know it's like yes so yeah. this is this is different and there is there is a depth to what neil adams studio was doing and they they are beautiful i recommend looking at least trying those out but I, like I said, I don't know what that means for the Archie one and, and Sparks. You know, actually, we did that. There were two, the first yeah. two issues of Sparks were done as motion comics, and at the time, I thought that was really groundbreaking. But I, you know, I again, I'm still with you. I don't necessarily need it, but hey, if you're an audience member who does like that sort of thing, let me know. Uh, you know, write into editor at fanboyplanet.com or uh, start a conversation message on Facebook or tweet at me. I, I, I don't know. It's just, it's one of those things. I'm, I'm at a loss because I'm just happy holding a book. Although, you know, I have converted to digital, uh, you know, I've got my hoopla app and I'm downloading graphic novels, checking them out from the library Good deal. and Marvel comics unlimited. And I paid for DC universe. So whatever they throw at me, I'm willing to read. So well, you know, DC is putting more digital, digital codes in their comics too. So, I, well, I think it's – but in that case, I've already – I've got the comics, which we should mention this week, you know, that – ooh, I just – I opened one and saw it. Uh, one of my potential what's in the baggers. Oh, there's the, there's the code right there. But uh, I was going to say this week in Marvel Comics that uh, the Marvel books all have a, bu- have a bonus code so you can get that fr- uh, cloak and dagger number one yes. for free online. Yes. So, so let's use that as the transition to, hey, what's in your bag? In my bag, the first issue that I have is a first issue um, bringing back uh, for a 12-issue 12, 12 maxi-series. <laughs> this uh, is exactly the book I opened up to see the digital. Oh, is that right? <laughs> <laughs> it was sitting on the top of my, my pile, and I looked over and yeah. saw, yeah, it's got the little blue insignia on the cover. But this is The Adventures of the Super Sons. The boys are back in town, and this is a Peter Tomasi uh storyline and it it's funny because i'm a little behind on batman so i was reading i was reading all the stuff leading up to issue 50 um which mm-hmm. a lot of it involves uh you know, superman's involved cuz he's supposedly going to be the best man through mm-hmm. all this it's are we are we out of spoiler <laughs> range um, for that i think i think that because at comic con uh tom king had to have a bodyguard because of all the death threats uh-huh. for batman number 50 I think it's I think it's public knowledge. It's safe to say that they don't get married, um, and but leading. But we're up only to, halfway through the arc. Well, the yeah, wedding the through. wedding issue was fifty, and they both walked away. Yes. They both left letters for the other one. It's like, yeah, 
okay. So, but all, uh, leading up to that, there were there was a lot of interplay between the two families, between the Wayne, yeah, uh, and the uh, the Kents, and so there was some interplay with uh, Damien and and uh, John, and so I was I was already primed to go right into this book again because you know I, this this was one of my first reads when it was a ongoing series too. So, um, I'm hoping. That uh, it, since this is a twelve issue maxi series, uh, that the the storyline they're introducing in the first issue, uh, which I'm not going to spoil, although it's really spoilerific, um, will go for the whole twelve issues, and they won't break it up and do a couple of storylines because I think there's enough here to carry them oh, on. Absolutely, on for absolutely. You've you read and it too, yeah. I did, and I'm going to say once again because I think we touched on this a few weeks ago. I don't think that anybody writes Damien as well as Peter J. Tomasi. Yeah, I, I, I he's, agree. He's striking that balance between this is a brat. Everybody else is, but you can still love him. Everybody else writes Damien as this is a psychopath. Yes. What are you going to do about it? And so, you know, that's. Well, there, I'm, I'm there, there's happy. a scene early on when he is, where he is particularly bratish with the remote control. Yeah, yeah. that's it. Yeah, that's it. So. Uh, on my stack, and I think you recommended the first issue, I'm actually going to break my usual habit, and I am going to uh, recommend a, a, f- a number four issue, okay. simply because I've caught up on this and kept up with this, I should say. It's not even just ca- caught up. Once I read the first, actually, uh, my son read the first issue, said, Dad, where's the second issue? I said, well, actually, uh, I do have it. Uh, <laughs> and then... <laughs> And then I was gone, and we came back, and there was the third issue. And miraculously, two weeks later, the fourth issue's up, and that's the Immortal Hulk. Oh, yeah. This is, you know, talk about a story that could be in its own. Uh, one, I'm loving that there's the homage to the TV series by creating the, the female Jacqueline McGee. Jack McGee being the reporter that was chasing down David Banner in the TV right. series. But, in general, that this is a Hulk that could stand on its own, even though they they're bringing um, Sasquatch into it. That it's a frightening book. After reading the first issue, I was like, "What I want is give me that TV series, and don't tie it into the Marvel universe." Like if, if, a few years ago, they talked about uh, Guillermo del Toro was going to turn this turn, do a Hulk TV show, and this is the TV show it should be. Or this should be a Hulk movie that would yeah. have nothing to do with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Just give me this super intelligent Hulk and the, the balance between Bruce Banner and himself, Bruce Banner by day, researching who deserves to be destroyed by the Hulk. You know, we were uh, at, at the comic book shop. There were like four of us gathered around, We were and the, the issue was there on the counter, and everyone was going how much they liked it. And I was going, you know, it's kind of... It is kind of a cross between uh, Swamp Thing or mm-hmm. a Man Thing and the Spectre, mm-hmm. because, and because it's almost an anthology book the way they're writing it. And I think that's going to shift, but that's the yeah. way I like anthologies. Where you, you know, yes, you've had two stories that really weren't; they were connected by the by the presence yeah. of Bruce Banner and the Hulk. But the third and fourth are clearly tying together, and I think. Uh, you know, my son and I were talking, and I, I, I won't spoil this, but there was a, a clue at the end of the third issue that picks up in the fourth, so we think we know where the fifth and sixth. 
And and there, you know why I'm loving this book? My son and I are talking and thinking about it, and he's yeah. telling me stuff about it, and and he's he's reading each issue first, and it's killing him not to talk to me about it <laughs> until I've read it. So, but when when you have a character like like the Hulk, or you know, like even like Swamp Thing or Man Thing, or something that's alien, something that is you know, incredibly powerful. It's it's a much more convincing story to not focus on them, but to focus on the people who are being affected by them. Well, because I, we I, know who he is. Find yeah. out who he is through how he affects everybody. Right. So you know. So if anybody listening hasn't picked this up, uh, this is uh, this is one again that's going to be worth a trade paperback. But pick it up if you can, because it's fun to read serially too. And the third issue did a really cool thing with different points of view, using different artistic styles to tell the story. And I just thought, you know, a book out of the gate being this creative, this is the kind of stuff that I, that Marvel should be doing more of. So ha- really happy with this. What's next on your stack? Next in my stack is we, you and I had talked about this, uh, you know, in real life. Um, there is no real life. Because I think this is probably the first book I've bought from American Mythology Productions. And um, and it is announcing uh, they have previously been doing the land that time forgot, which I have to say that uh, it's never been one of my favorite Burroughs series. And I've read mm-hmm. just about every every Burroughs series. It's the one where they're on they're it's they're they're the area they're caught in is doesn't really isn't really convincing as something they couldn't get away from. Um, the, the dinosaurs have been done in Pellucidar, the evolutionary trail of things. Yeah, wasn't it a George Powell movie or Ray? Uh, it was like the, yeah, it was a, it was a, Doug they, McClure was in it. They actually made two and, uh, McClure was in one, uh, and it's actually, the story isn't that bad. It's just, it's not as compelling as a lot of other Burroughs stuff, but no. American mythology has been doing the land that time forgot. They've got a number of issues out and this but that's is not the book you're going to recommend. This is Carson of Venus. Number one, which is fear on four worlds part one. And it starts on, and I'm trying to, I can't, I have to look it up. The, uh, Caspak, Caspak, uh, the land that time forgot. That's where it starts. And two of the characters that have been, uh, they're not, it's not Bowden Tyler, who is the main character in the Burroughs stories, but it's uh, a character, uh, the granddaughter of Bowden and a guy who kind of likes her, of course, uh, get transported to Venus along with the pterodactyl, but we won't talk about that. Um, but this is, this for me, at first I was thinking it was, it was like, uh, uh, the Burroughs collection of the three fragments, the Mars fragment, the Venus mm-hmm. fragment, and whatever, which is, um, I can't remember, it's like a stories, Tales of Three Worlds or something like that. Um, but this is, this is they've done, done Carson of Venus, number one, and the next one will be Moon Maid, number one, uh. Uh, which is being written by, oh God, and I can't remember his name. Uh, he's been, he just recently wrote, uh, a uh, a follow up to uh, uh, the Moon Men, uh, Moon Maid, Moon Men storyline, and uh, that's it's unfortunate. I can't remember his name. He's a real good guy. Um, 
Anyway, you can always put it in an addendum on the page. I can. I do uh, when we remember things way after the fact. So. And then and then they'll go to Pellucidar, and then they'll bring it back around to the land that time forgot. And each one of those is going to be a first issue. So they are launching uh, the Edgar Rice Burroughs universe in American mythology productions. Of course, not to be confused with the Edgar Rice Burroughs universe that is being run on EdgarRiceBurroughs.com. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, they, they, are, they are working with the, the Burroughs. The I know. Burroughs no, no, no. people are incredibly flexible licensed. with their licensing. Uh, and, well, and not to be confused with the Dynamite books right. that are exactly. still out there. Uh, okay. Exactly. So, so if you uh, don't li- and what, we, what you and I had talked about was uh, there will be a, a newly a revised and upgraded uh, Carson of Venus reprinting the stories that were in Korak, Son of Tarzan, back in the 70s. By Len Wein and Mike Kaluta. And I'm Mike going Kaluta to assume artwork. You, you and I were trying to figure that out. It's probably really just a, a one-shot. I, I suspect it. Backups. Yeah, it's 32-page book. At best, they'll do two two yeah. issues, I think. Yeah. Um, little That'd be a little slim for a graphic novel, but hey, I'd buy it. <laughs> I know. Uh, American mythology is really Rick Brettschneider by this comics. <laughs> Actually, I haven't bought any of the. Uh, this is like I said. This is the first one that I've bought oh, from American but, mythology. But you're hooked. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I'm going to go to Image, uh, and this is sort of di- sort of dinosaur related. This is kaiju related, from our old pal John Lehman with Nick Patara, Leviathan number one, which is you know I've, I've been waiting for the thing that was going to follow up kind of in tone. Or, yeah, in tone, I will say not 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 in any way, shape, or form exactly like Chew, uh, but I like that it's almost like they split off because uh, it, you know the artist on on Chew has his Rob Guillory has Farmhand, so in the back right. of uh, Leviathan there's an ad for Farmhand, so it's like oh yeah, here are these two guys you know going away you know stretching a little bit away from each other and they're going to come back and chew, but they, they don't need to because they're both doing such great. I've read farmhand and what a creepy great story that was. But Leviathan is, uh, sets up, you know, the teens in trouble or college students in trouble. The people that love Kai, it's a Kaiju marathon. And in the middle of all these disparate storylines, people walking around, including a, a priest, uh, and, and a party in a movie theater and what's happening downtown someone or something calls forth uh, a giant kaiju that pretty much wrecks the city. And so it is about what are the pe- these people going to, these characters we've been introduced to, what are they going to do to stop it? What can they do to stop it? And yet it's got J- John Lehman's, you know, trademark sense of humor. It's twisted. It's, it's messed up. It's funny. It's not for kids. If you've got a kid who likes Godzilla, do not show them Leviathan until they're at least 14. So <laughs> a 14-year-old nodding his head at me, yes, I will read this. So, uh, yes, he will, because uh, Lehman uh, has that sensibility. So I, I do recommend this book. It was really fun. I'm really glad I picked it up. Uh, it, it, it's just not for kids, but uh, it's a cool book. And I really like Nick Batara's art. And I know I've seen it before, and I'm blanking on where but it's really cool. So, love this book, Leviathan. Next on your stack, uh, the last one I have is uh, this is a really this is like Little Rick in front of the TV TV on Saturday morning. 
Uh, I loved the show when I was a kid. Uh, and the fact that they brought Frankenstein Jr. back into the Future Quest line after, yes. after, after having him been actually a fairly essential character in the original Future Quest uh, storyline. Um, oh, he was last week, though, wasn't he? But that's no, okay. We didn't cover it. Uh, no, I know I bought it. And, I, think uh, I, I think I just got this yesterday. Yeah, okay, no, well, I, they may I just uh, put it in. It's not maybe a, it's not a short... this week's stack. Yeah, okay. we know this happens. Yeah. So, um, but worth calling out. But you've got uh, you've got a book that is slightly tied back to the original Future Quest line, which not all of these have been, because you've got the newly Izzy Good Izzy Bad Doctors in uh, conferring with uh, with the son of uh, oh, what's his name, um, the son of the boy who is the Johnny Sacco to uh, the giant robot to Frankenstein Junior. Buzz, 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 right? Buzz Conroy, Buzz, Buzz, Boom. Buzz. Um, and it really is a Johnny Sacco uh, thing that uh, carries over. And in this issue, uh, they've made Frankie a new, giant or more kanju fight- fighting style body. And of course, then he's going to fight <laughs> some giant monsters. Sure. Uh, some kaiju, and, sure. and kaiju. Yes, you can't you can't build a kaiju fighting body and not have kaiju. Right, exactly. That's so, all there is to it. And it also it also has in it uh, as as the bad bad guys fear, which I think is just the 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 best um, the best set of generic villain henchman uh, hierarchy um, cobra slash. Um, yeah. The minions of uh, the Iron Maiden from from uh, Thunder Agents, you know, it's it's all all right there. Uh, this is just a really sweet little book. The story wraps up in one issue. Again, uh, the Future Quest line is really um, a fun, and it it's. I'm sure there's someone who says there's an editor who says no, that's going to finish in one issue because that's what we do here. Do so. you remind me? Do you have the big little book of Frankenstein Junior? No, I don't. I don't. Hmm. Check. I may have two. Oh. Um, so, uh, anyway. Uh, my last one on the stack is going to be one I was looking forward to, and I'm still not sure. I'm going to have to give this a three-issue try. Justice League Dark. Uh, the new version of Justice League Dark, uh, which is spinning out of No Justice. See, uh, I got that one last week. Oh, see, that's funny. Yeah, there it is. I got that uh, this week. Uh, regardless, I'm puzzled by the change in Swamp Thing's look. I'm intrigued by the change in Man Bat's look, and, and I have a rule, which is if Detective Chimp is in the book, I'm probably going to enjoy it. So I, I, I give uh, I give Man Bat. Uh, oh, you know what I think happened? No, I can't say what I think happened here. But anyway, uh, I'm not I'm not positive because it's a very scattered story going back and forth. This is one of those. Um, I appreciate that it is acknowledging things that happened in storylines before the new 52. Yeah. I just don't want a book to get bogged down in trying to re-explain those long held things. Like this is referencing something back. And I think swamp thing annual number two by, uh, or maybe annual number one by Alan Moore. And so it's, it's, it's cool. Uh, because you know what happened to Zatara, but to yeah. tie that in and say like, does that matter to a kid or, or even an adult, a new reader picking this book up right now? So much of this is tied into that, and and Baron Winters from Night Force appears. All the supernatural 
characters, both good and evil. And so it's interesting to, to see this is another one of those books. I'm just not sure how it reads to someone who is not as not as steeped in those horror hero characters as I as I am. And so I don't know if it would pick up a new reader quite as easily. But I, I did enjoy it. I don't know why they've just gone forth other than to tick him off to make Swamp Thing look like Alan Moore. But they did. So, granted, a, a very bulked up Alan Moore. <laughs> he does look like Alan Moore. Uh, Detective Chimp, however, still looks like Detective Chimp, and that's all that's that matters. That's what matters, yes. Yes. So, hey, uh, before we leave Justice League... Um, this is one of those things where I'm confused by DC right at the moment. Um, there is, the, so we got Justice League Dark, which is a brand new book. Yes. How many other Justice League books are there right now? There will be four, one for each tree in No Justice. Oh. So. Is that what's going on? Yes. Did you read No, no Justice? I read a couple of issues and then. Didn't get a couple of issues and said, no, by the and there were and there were out. only four. So yes, yeah. uh, that that was that each that that there were uh, tree of magic, tree of wonder, a tree of of knowledge. Oh, I can't remember what they all were, but uh, th- these things got left behind, and so each so dark is one of these trees. Uh, dark is dealing with the tree of i think mystery um okay. or maybe it's the tree of wonder because wonder woman's involved uh, but they reference it in this story and and they say the problem is that it the that in no justice there were these four trees which are supposed to call forth whichever one is most powerful calls forth a being that will come and devour and take all its energy they tricked it they tricked the beings uh it is the tree of wonder yes in salem massachusetts which you got to know that's where Dr. Fate's tower is. Yeah. And uh, so he'll be appearing in Justice League Dark. And uh, so they tricked it they tricked the Titans or whatever they were. I think they were like called the Dark Titans and they they got and so the trees are remaining. But the trees aren't supposed to last more than a week because they they'll all get destroyed. But they haven't been destroyed. So now the earth the the heroes don't know what to do. These trees are still sending out uh, a force into the world and into the universe and it's calling forth something they're, they're calling forth something from beyond the forge see this is how the forge ties into everything oh, and uh yeah so it, <laughs> but but they're fun you know i so far that i think the scott snyder justice league book has been fun and i think this this can be fun it this one's just so tangled up in so many different realities of it's like uh the new animated death of superman i'm like okay i'm interested because what I haven't seen yet is there have been references to Superman dying, but since New 52, there have had to have been at least two different versions of that one that happened in New 52. Right. And then a memory of how it happened in Rebirth. So I want to watch the Death of Superman animated to just go like, how is that supposed to have happened now? You know? <laughs> so what things are still canon that were tied into that? And that's where all these reboots get confusing. So we shall see. Uh, let's let's go to movies. Let's uh, rush forward here. I, I, we didn't talk about this last week, and I, I'm going to be honest. This is I, I've made no comment on podcast or or website because uh, right before Comic Con, or I guess the first night of Comic Con, Disney. Uh, I take that back. It was the Friday of Comic Con because I remember exactly where I was when I got the text. 
I was I was at Purge City, and that a friend of mine texted me and said Disney just fired James Gunn from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, and it was because truly, truly tasteless tweets from eight to ten years ago were dug up by an alt right, the guy that was behind PizzaGate, uh, that conspiracy theory. Uh, started whipping the internet and Twitter into a frenzy that the night before I had seen a tweet from James defending himself. And, uh, and I tweeted back, you know, you think would be kind for me. And this is why I hadn't commented is this is, this hits close to home. James Gunn is not a friend in the way of, Oh, we've been to each other's houses or anything, but he used to call me every few months. Let me know what he was doing and what was newsworthy for fanboy planet. And he was a big booster, of this site and of me personally. So I've considered him a friend, if not, you know, not a close friend, but a friend and the end to reconcile that with the guy that the way he was being attacked. And I got one light little attack uh, on Twitter back that night before as well. And I knew this was coming from a place of political motivation and, and not actual outrage but uh-huh. you know, your outrage over politics, not outrage over morality. Right. And Disney, they were in between a rock and a hard place. I don't know what they could have done differently. I wish they had taken some time to inv- investigate. Like as we know, you know, we reported on Chris Hardwick a few a few weeks ago, and both AMC and NBC yep. conducted investigations, and I think. Maybe not contrite enough for my for my taste, but contrite. Uh, you know that that there's a that there are two sides to the story. You know, Hardwick is back. Hardwick's going to be a guest on Ameri- a guest judge on Ameri- America's Got Talent. And if there's any better way to say we have faith in this guy as a personality for our network, yeah, there is no better way than America's Got Talent. And you know, so and he's back on the Talking Dead, and he's getting you know his place restored, and that's the way the justice should work. Um, you know, is investigation decision, is there contrition if there's a crime, if something wrong has happened and what is worthwhile. And as I say, when the message of the movies that James Gunn has made over the last five years has been broken people, messed yep. up people can still fix themselves and find a way into being better. And, and he himself other. has done that. Yeah. It seemed unfair. The cast of uh, unilaterally, though they stopped short of saying, and I don't blame them for this either, stopped short of saying, we won't make Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 if you don't rehire James Gunn. But they made a a statement uh, including, you know, Chris Pratt is very Christian and very much, you know, he was tweeting out messages of, of you know, redemption and don't be quick to judge. And the entire cast signed, and I just think I don't know why. I just love that Dave Bautista has incredibly beautiful pen, penmanship. And, <laughs> and well, he is. He. Oh, yeah. No, and he was the first cast member to come out and say, "Like, I'm not happy. I'm not happy with what Disney has done." And so I, I shout out that Dave Bautista is rapidly becoming one of my favorite people in, in the in in Hollywood. And you know, because I, I will say this again, Bautista. Nobody gave him anything. He has fought hard for everything he has, and yet he, his heart is so clearly big and open, 
And there's a kindness to this guy that is belied by the fact that he's got this brutish. He plays Drax really well. You know, he's Drax the Destroyer. Um, And then in movies, he tends to play characters like that. But the real person is a good human being. I I wish I wish I knew him. Even Drax. I I was I was thinking about this the other day, and I was I was really coming to the conclusion that um, Batista is really the Andre the Giant of the 21st century. Yeah. I think that's pretty. That's a pretty good comparison. Yeah. Um, when you saw the Princess Bride, didn't you just want another Andre the Giant movie vehicle? I kind of did, and it never happened. So that's the yeah. difference: is that now yeah. the industry is in a place where they can find things to do, and he's tra- he's trying to stretch himself a little bit here and there. You know, yeah. he's getting better as an actor. It's a far cry from being the Kryptonian assassin monster. Yeah. In, in on Smallville that he once played, uh, you know, and, and so it's uh, it's time I, to it's time to remake Kindergarten Cop with Dave Bautista. I, think. I gotta call my agent. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, this does open up the question: Where does Marvel go if Disney isn't going to rehire James Gunn? And you know, it, it's not over until Disney says it you know says it's over they could reverse themselves sure i don't know that it's likely but you know you can and already they're headline saying no it doesn't look like they're going to do it well you think they're going to do the rehire as fast they've got a merger to complete which of course by the way was also approved in the middle of all this contretemps that you know they're they bought fox they got they the shareholders uh, confirm you know approved and so you know they had to kind of like remove all controversy before that vote happened so there are there are logical business reasons i wish that wasn't what had driven this but you know there are there are you know logical business decisions but what does this mean next for the marvel universe again we only know that we're going into avenger you know we know there's a black widow movie coming we know we got captain marvel we know uh, they just released the logo for spider-man far from home uh i'm gonna sidebar have you followed Leslie Jones watching Infinity War and live tweeting her reactions to it? No, I haven't. Oh, oh! I can only say, 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 say which the cast of of the Marvel movies got involved uh, because she said, "Like this is my future husband, Chris Evans." Like she tweeted the video she was shooting it on her phone of Captain America's first appearance in Infinity War. She's like, "This is my this is my future husband, you all," and she. Describe all these, you know, just how fine he was. And Chris Evans tweeted back, this is weird because this is exactly Paul Bettany's reaction every time I walk into the room, verbatim. <laughs> and then Paul Bettany tweets, yes, you can see it in my eyes in this shot. <laughs> it's like, and he's got a picture of him as the vision looking at Captain America. I will, I, I will not spoil the majority of it. But the tag was fantastic. That when I she watched it over two days because she had to take time to to live tweet. When she got to the end, to the post credit sequence, and she says, "Who the H or F? I don't remember which. I don't want to get misquoted. Right. You know, is Nick Fury calling? Brie Larson tweets back. Oh, new nice. number. Who dis?" <laughs> <laughs> Oh. So I love that that all got involved, uh, but you know, so we know Spider Man's coming. There's been rumor of a Doctor Strange too, but we just don't know. We're left with what's happening in 
with is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 even going to happen? Yeah. James Gunn had finished the script. Do they want to go with that? Do they want to hire somebody new? Do they need to do a, a, a Volume 3? You and, know, or do they just need those characters to appear elsewhere in the universe from time to time? If I was Marvel, I would... I, well, we don't know what James Gunn's contract's like, right? Um, whether the, By whether the way, I, I do want to say James was contrite, accepted that he was fired, and said, the person I was is not the person I am, right, but right. I understand. Yeah. You know, he and was he was totally he was gracious. Yeah. And that's the man I've always known. Sure. So, you know, I just but so that. so if I was Marvel and I did not have something to can to protect me from this, I'd be worried about James Gunn going over and doing a DC movie. And maybe he will in a year or two. Yeah. You know, because, I, because that's what DC needs. And that's what happened with J- Joss Whedon. So, yeah. you know, who knows? Who knows? Anyway, uh, well, we, do you know this was kind of the shocker that Lucasfilm announced that uh, we knew, I think Billy D. Williams had been previously announced that he was going to appear in episode nine. They started filming yesterday, I think. J.J. Yeah. Abrams was the first day of shooting. They announced uh, that Mark Hamill will be back and that they had enough footage from The Force Awakens unused oh. of Carrie Fisher after having said that no. They would not recreate her digitally. She, they didn't have footage. Right. They weren't going to use right. her. Um, again, I say once more, bravo to filmmakers for out and out lying to us. Yeah, and I do mean that sincerely because suddenly it was a huge surprise. Yes, there's enough footage of Carrie that they can they can give Leia an ending, and I just whether that means that she appears and then just kind of. The actions goes away from her, and we can leave Leia alive at the well, end of of, the, of of this trilogy because it's the end of the Skywalker saga. You know, I either I that or, or you you reprise the Force Ghost scene, right? So if you have if you have Luke and Leia there, I mean, if you have a, a live actor <laughs> interacting say, with, can I say how many? Of those people that have driven actors off this off of Twitter and Instagram, their heads will explode if suddenly Leia had force ghost abilities. Right, right. No, I, I no, makes, I'm with you now. Now that yeah. I've said that out loud, that's exactly what I want to have happen. Yeah. I would like to see erstwhile fans' heads explode <laughs> all across yeah. America. I'm fine with that. It's so like the, it's like uh, uh, it's like Kingsman, where you know yes. where, where everybody's there. Boom, 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 boom. All the heads going off. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, I, I'm down with that. So let's go to TV news. Uh, just some weird things have happened. Uh, yesterday, it was announced that one. I, you know, and this is why I'm seriously. reading this sentence over and over again, and I'm like going seriously. I, I want like a week ago. Literal. A week ago, I was thinking. Why hasn't anybody tried this? <laughs> and then I willed it into being uh, Warner Brothers is looking to resurrect ALF and to to do a modern re- version of ALF. And I think uh, it's that's all we can say at this point. They haven't talked to a network. They, I don't know who's who uh, if the original creator is still I think it's Tom Patchett. Maybe it's the guy's name who also voiced ALF. Uh, or as we know him, as real fans know, Gordon Shumway, yes. uh, the alien life form. Uh, 
who you, knows you, it? You, you you wrote in the notes warner brothers looking to resurrect alf and i got this impression of alf being dead and being brought back to life as Which, a zombie the way, alf I and he, he, he just it, wants to eat cat brains i think that well that that was the original series i know uh, yeah. but i think that's how it ended he was uh, surrounded by the government and they knew the government would just dissect him and uh-huh. I think that's how. And then there was a uh, sort of a reunion movie without the family, in which it, like he had, he was irritating the government. And I and if that's the take, I really want that to happen. <laughs> so you know, uh, irritate the government. Anyway, uh, Apple is creating a time you know a time bandits TV series now. Bacon, I don't think you were in on this panel. I attended this panel about like, are we in a new golden age of television? And I said no. What's really interesting to me is these. All these new services cropping up, Apple, Facebook, uh, LiveWatch, you know, the series they're trying. Right. And we've talked about this. So Amazon's doubling down. Jeff Bezos believes this is where it is. They are all aiming for the same dollar. Ours. Everything is genre. Everything is getting developed in genre. So to go back to, te- to a Terry Gillen, a brilliant film, and to do a TV series, it could be really fun. It could almost be like a Voyager's, but really irreverent. Yeah. Yeah, so I yeah, that's that's it's not a bad idea, um, but of course it's all in the execution. We shall we shall see there. Uh, part of and, part of the uh, part of the charm, if you will, if you will, charm uh, of Time Bandits was kind of the really super rough um, production that they did of that. I mean, it's like the the filming wasn't lit quite right the all the special well, it's effects a terry, were just it's a terry cuts. gilliam film there's always oh, something wrong with a terry gilliam yeah film well you, you, that you, makes you, it brilliantly right it doesn't compare really to to uh, brazil for example or you know no but brazil was made after yeah time bandits that was his thing you know you That's you true. can follow the track of of his esteem in the industry from co-directing monty python and the holy grail and then yeah. life of brian then going off on his own to try Time Bandits, though there were a couple of Python members in there. Then Brazil is, you know, because Time Bandits was this weird cult hit, Brazil gets to be this big thing. and Production, yeah. Very big production. And then someone still had had faith in him for the, the adventures of Baron Munchausen, you know, right. which, are, which are a trilogy. They all are. Uh, Time Bandits is, is what happens to uh, a child's imagination, and Brazil is what happens when that child grows up and the world is not fit for his imagination. Uh-huh. And and then the redemption is being an old man, is being Baron Munchausen. Nobody cares, yeah. again, about how imaginative your stories are. So uh, I'm not straight from. I got that from Gilliam. I wasn't being brilliant. That's actually true. That's what he said. This yep. is what happens, is if you're trying to be imaginative as a, as a middle-aged man, you're going to die. Yeah. So, uh, but I, I think my, my real point is that if it isn't grubby, you know, because it's the idea that these kind of shoddy, kind of grubby guys are like traveling through time and affecting stuff. If it, if they, if they, uh, if they clean it up, make it sparkly and stuff, it's going to fail. No, I don't think it's, they will. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I think this one was the logical. I just wanted to call out on Netflix. You watched all about Altered Carbon. I've started. I just haven't gotten back to it. Yeah. Season two was confirmed and announced that Anthony Mackie is taking over the lead, which is kind of the interesting thing about Altered Carbon, right, would be that each season would essentially yeah. have to be a new lead playing the same character. It's Doctor Who, man. 
I, I like it. Okay. Yeah. And I don't know, have you taken a look at Castle Rock on Hulu? Because I know you're a King fan, too. I'm super intrigued by it. I, I'm not currently a Hulu subscriber. So, uh, oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Ah. So I'm, I'm. It's got me tempted. It's, I think it's got a short run. It's um, only ten. It's ten episodes. And I, yeah. I, I will say this. Okay, I'm enjoying it. But I will say yes. If you're not a Hulu subscriber, um, I don't think that this is enough. This is like CBS All Access, right? I need more than one show. Yeah. So like CBS All Access, it's Strange Angel and Star Trek Discovery. And at Comic-Con, they, they teased again that Jordan Peele Twilight Zone. So I'm going to have three series that will make CBS All Access worth it to me. Just like DC Universe will have eventually five or six or 17 that I will be, be watching. But for Hulu, Castle Rock, I don't think it's the... I don't think it's the game changer for you. There is some interesting programming, original shows, Hand, Handmaid's Tale. Well, there, I'm rethinking it now. Between yeah. Handmaid's Tale and Castle Rock, it might be worth it to you. But I think maybe in season two of Castle Rock. Yeah, I didn't jump on Handmaid's Tale because I reread the book right before. And I and with maybe current climates and stuff, I got really depressed about it. And I really didn't want to watch it. <laughs> Which is why I, I was why I haven't watched season two of Handmaid's Tale. I was like, yeah. this is all too um, disturbing right now. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but uh, uh, yeah, I there was um, if I can inject two things, uh, I just discovered that one of my one of my favorite books from when I was in college was which was before I'd actually heard the alternate Earths storylines sto- stories of alternate Earths um, was Len Denton's SSGB. Did you ever read that? No. It's it's a it takes place in a uh, London where uh, the the Battle of Britain was won by the Nazis. And so they take over London, and they have they have now made peace in Europe. But now the SS is is the uh, the the leading investigative force um, in in London, and you have uh, you have this you know typical mm-hmm. Len Denton kind of uh, uh, twisty storyline. And that's, I do that's, not know how many listeners would know what a typical Len Denton twisty storyline is. Well, yeah, it's, 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 it's typically he writes like deep, uh, spy stuff. And, okay. um, Oh, so. Len Dayton. Dayton. Okay. Yes. Sorry. Okay. No, I did. It's the thing is I realized memory. With, with your pronunciation, this could be anything. It could have been a Dr. Seuss novel. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> Len Dayton. But, yes. but, uh, the BBC did a, did a series of that. And that's like next, next up on my binge. Um, and because it's so, it, in one way it's divorced from it, but in another way it's it's almost par- runs parallel to man the man of high castle high castle, which has also been renewed, yeah. so there we go all right well, I think uh like you know it's it's August I was gonna say it's almost August no it's August while we've been talking, and I'm running out of summer to catch up on the things I didn't watch during the year. And all this new programming is happening, and I, I'm overwhelmed again. So uh, I'm going to have to go watch TV now. Uh, but thank you all for listening. And, of course, again, if you have any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, feedback, let us know. Did we get something wrong, uh, or is there something you think we should be talking about? Write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com. And, of course, you can go through Amazon. Hey, pick up I Was Flesh Gordon. Remember, we sold out at Comic-Con. All right. So, anyway, I'm Derek McCaw, editor-in-chief of fanboyplanet.com. And I'm Rick Brett Snyder reminding you to use, use your, your powers, powers for, for good. good.
And thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www.thegreatluke.com.